As we prepare to open God's word, let us come before him in prayer. Gracious God and Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, that you in your infinite wisdom have chosen to reveal yourself to us sinful creatures. Lord, we are unworthy to even hear your voice, but yet you have given us your word, containing in it everything that we need for our salvation. Father, we are humbled by your grace. We also confess, Lord, that your word is truth. As we open your word this morning, help us to see that the words of our passage are divine truth. Lord, we know that the devil puts before us so many tempting lies, lies that tell us that we can find comfort, security, peace, and salvation elsewhere. So give us your spirit, Lord, so that more and more we may cling to your word, so that through the reading of your word and its proclamation, we might see all the more your love and your grace and your power shine forth. And where we must be convicted by the opening of your word, open our hearts so that we might be changed by the power of Christ. Help us also to be encouraged and equipped for our walk of faith, that your word would speak to us, not only as we sit here in church, but also as we go from here into the week, that your word might continue to be a lamp to our feet and a light for our paths. Above all, may you be honored and glorified as we open your word this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles together to Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. Our text will come from Mark chapter 5, but we'll start at chapter 4, verse 35, to uh, establish some of the context. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us, cross to the other, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowds, they took him, that is Jesus, with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was at the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Then begins our text in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, 
not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a great herd of pigs. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Thus far God's word. As I mentioned, our text this morning will be Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, our text this morning takes us out of the land of Israel into Gentile and pagan territory. And in order to understand why Jesus had to cross over the Sea of Galilee and what he was doing there in the land of the Gerasenes, we need to look back in the Gospel of Mark. Mark had been recounting the events of Jesus' life as he began his ministry up there in the northern part of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee. Mark records how Jesus began teaching and proclaiming the gospel. He records that Jesus was saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus had come for this very purpose so that the kingdom of God might be manifested and God's people might be called to repentance. And the authority of that message, Jesus' authority, was reinforced by the miracles he was performing. He was healing the sick, 
making the lame to walk. He was casting out demons. And with each miracle, Jesus is revealing himself more and more to the people of Israel. Up to this point, however, this revelation has been made only to God's people, Israel. In our text, however, Jesus has left the people of Israel and is going over to the other side of the sea. While this would have originally been part of the promised land, the country of the Gerasenes was now part of the Decapolis, as our text mentions. It was a loose federation of cities which were heavily influenced by Greek and Roman culture. In other words, this was pagan territory. It is as if Jesus is making an entrance, a landing into a foreign and occupied territory, a land in which Satan thought he had full control. Jesus, however, proves quite the opposite. And he does so in a confrontation of epic and spiritual proportions, one which is laid out in vivid detail in our text. So I bring God's word to you with this theme. Jesus frees a man from Satan's fetters. We'll see three things. First, the need for Christ's freeing. Then the power of Christ's freeing. And then finally, the response to Christ's freeing. So first, the need for Christ's freeing. Verse 1 of our text drops us in the middle of an ongoing narrative. Jesus has left the western shores of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples in a small fishing boat, but the crossing has not gone smoothly. And as they came to the other side, the land of the Gerasenes, the hearts and the minds of the disciples would still have been filled with the terror of the storm and both the wonder and the fear of what had been done right before their eyes. The question would still have been on their lips, who then is this that he commands the winds and the waves and they obey him? And then as the boat comes to rest on the shore, Jesus and his disciples disembark. And what is waiting for them there? Here is Jesus, the Son of God. Do the Gerasenes have a welcome party fit for this royal visitor? And his disciples? No, quite the opposite. Jesus is met with swift and immediate resistance. The devil confronts Jesus right there on the beach, so to speak. No sooner had Jesus come upon the shore than this this man comes up running to Jesus, crying out, What have you to do with me? The devil wants nothing less than Jesus expanding his reach, revealing himself also to the Gentiles in this area. And so the demons that possess this man cannot wait even for a moment. They rush out against Jesus. And what a sight this must have been for Jesus and his disciples. Mark describes it in vivid detail in our text. The dirt-covered man was totally naked. His wild hair unkempt. Blood would have been oozing from the open wounds on his, across his body. On his wrists and feet were the marks where the men of the town had tried to bind him with chains and shackles. And even more than that, he is coming from the tombs, a place of death, 
and uncleanness. Mark tells us that night and day he would be crying out, injuring himself. This is a man from whom we would naturally recoil with horror. No amount of reasoning could control him. No chain could subdue him. This man was destined to live out his anguish-filled days until he perished among the very tombs where he lived. This man and the demons that possess him are a picture for us. An extreme picture of the natural state of fallen man. It is the power of the devil manifested in all its gruesome horror. The Holy Spirit has seen fit to include this story so that we too today could reckon with the power of Satan and his demons. We must acknowledge that there is a spiritual war going on. Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us that we do not fight against flesh and blood but against rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We may not see it in all its horror as it is displayed in our text, but it doesn't make it any less real. In our Western world, we see that the devil manifest his power in a much more subtle way. And it's not just out there in the world and in the culture. We must see him also in our own lives, in our own hearts. Just as the demons try to destroy the man in our text, so the devil seeks to drag us down and destroy us by and destroy our faith by pulling us into sin. Listen to the words of James 1, verse 15. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, and then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. For example, the devil will use your ungodly anger to destroy your marriage. The devil wants you to be selfish and waste your gifts and skills that God has given you. The devil can use your addiction to alcohol or other drugs to destroy your body, your health, and ruin your relationships. Your desire to hold a grudge or to speak negatively about someone will cut down the body of Christ. We need to recognize the sin in our lives before it takes hold and has a chance to drag us down. We cannot be comfortable with sin, saying, well, I'll clean up my act later. The text this morning provides a a stark picture of the end reality of that kind of attitude. Sin can feel exciting or even fun for a moment, and the effects of sin might not be felt right away. But as Proverbs 5, verse 11 and 12 say, at the end of your life you groan, when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. Brothers and sisters, we like that man in our text are in need of Christ's freeing. We need to be rescued from the clutches of sin, to be set free from the power of the devil and made alive. 
And thank God that this is God's promise to each of us in the gospel, but we still need this warning. Warning to put away every sin in our lives through the power of Christ. A power that we will see in our second point. The power of Christ's freeing. Cast your minds back to the events of our text. If this were a Hollywood movie, you would expect a a clash to take place. You would expect the demon-possessed man to attack Jesus and try overpower him like he did the chains that bound him. But this is no ordinary confrontation. Verse 6 picks up where the narrative left off. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Immediately we are struck by Jesus' power. From the very first moment of their interaction, the power and authority of Jesus shines forth. Even though Jesus had left the land of Israel, the people of Israel, his power extends to all lands and all peoples. For what does this man do? A man who can tear apart chains, a man who contains an an army of demons, he falls down at Jesus' feet. The immense power of Christ is shown all the more in verse 9 when he asks the man his name. The man responds, Legion, for we are many. This is not just one demon that is kneeling before Jesus' authority, but a whole army of unclean spirits. By asking the man his name, Jesus is making absolutely clear to his disciples, to the man himself and the, the other bystanders that He, Jesus, is in full control, in complete authority over the forces of evil. The power of the demons is reduced to nothing. There is no comparison, no no contest. The demons must submit themselves to Jesus' power and authority. Don't be mistaken, this is reluctant submission rather than genuine worship of Jesus. For listen to what the demons cry out when they are commanded to come out of the man. Verse 7, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? The demons want nothing to do with this Jesus. Why? Because they know who he is is. This is Jesus, Son of the Most High God. He is the one through whom all things were created. He's the one who heals the sick. He's the one who tames the wind and the waves, and the one who casts out demons, and and they know this. The unclean spirits know that they are up against the power of God Himself. And so they can only fall down at his feet and beg. Verse 7, I adjure you by God, do not torment us. And then in verse 10 again, they, they beg not to be sent out of the country, but rather into a nearby herd of pigs. These requests made by the unclean spirits can be a bit puzzling. 
But when we compare our text with the parallel passages in Matthew and Luke, we can gain some clarity. Matthew tells us that the demons asked not to be tormented before their time. And Luke records that the demons asked not to be sent into the abyss. What the unclean spirits are really fearing is the final day of judgment. Using the words of Mark, by asking not to be tormented and sent out of the country, the demons are asking not to be subjected to the banishment that will come with the final judgment, but be allowed to stay in the area until then. They knew that Jesus had the power to cast them into the eternal lake of fire. And so facing that prospect, the unclean spirits beg to be sent into the nearby pigs. And commentators differ as to exactly why the demons wanted to be sent into the pigs. We do know that unclean spirits like to inhabit someone. They don't want to be left roaming around. Matthew 12 tells us that. And so knowing that Jesus would not allow them to enter into another person, they asked to be sent into the pigs. It is also possible that they knew that once they were in the pigs, they could kill them and so be free to enter another person or people. Or maybe it's a combination of these things. But either way, Jesus in his infinite wisdom sends them into the pigs. And we get another picture of the power of these unclean spirits. It is no trivial force that Christ has conquered. For as soon as they enter the herd, the pigs turn and rush down the steep shore and drown themselves in the water. You can well imagine the noise and the sight of 2,000 pigs churning up dust and dirt as they thunder to their deaths. It is fitting, really. The unclean spirits enter the unclean animals and throw themselves in the lake trying to get as far away from this Jesus who has complete authority over them. So is Jesus showing mercy to these demons by giving them their request? No, rather he is doing his Father's will and abiding in his Father's time. Jesus is there to show compassion to this man who has been suffering all this time to restore him to his right mind. And Jesus is demonstrating his complete power and authority over the spiritual realm. In many ways, this confrontation in our text is a, between Jesus and these demons is a skirmish on the way to the final battle. Jesus sent the unclean spirits out of the man, but he did not banish them completely. No, for Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. Jesus knew that his task was not just to cast out demons, but to destroy the prince of demons himself. By his work on the cross, Christ has taken away the one thing that gives Satan his power, namely sin. This is the power of Christ's freeing work, that by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them 
in Him. Colossians 3. Do you hear that? Christ has triumphed over sin and Satan by putting them to open shame. What Christ has done here in our text is a small taste of what He would do on the cross and has done. Christ would go on after the events of our text to crush the head of the serpent and so fulfill the words of God in the Garden of Eden. Such is the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ put on full display here in our text. Truly we can confess with the words of Revelation to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And what better picture of Christ's saving work is there than the man sitting at Jesus' feet? The one who before was screaming and cutting himself, flinging himself before Jesus, that man is sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. He was as good as dead, living among the tombs, tormented by the powers of darkness, forsaken by all mankind. But Christ does not shrink back from such a man. No, in love and compassion, Christ sees him as one who is made in the image of God and gives him new life. It's astonishing, isn't it, brothers and sisters, that that Christ died and rose to life, that by his death he conquered the devil and every power of darkness, all so that the man sitting at his feet could have new life so that you and I could have new life. The power of Jesus demonstrated in our text and brought to bear on the cross was all so that we could be restored to God, so that we could be freed from slavery to Satan and to be made children of God. 2 Corinthians 5 says it beautifully. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This gives us great confidence, brothers and sisters, when we are confronted with the power of the devil and his work in the world and in in our own hearts as well. We do not have to fear the devil and his work. Christ has conquered and is reconciling us to Himself. We have been given new life. We have been made whole again. And we have been given His Spirit so that we are no longer run by the desires of the flesh. No, we are filled with the Spirit so that by God's grace we can bring forth fruits of righteousness. Galatians 5 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. In, the, in verse 1 of that chapter, it says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Instead of the yoke of slavery, we can, through the Holy Spirit, bring forth fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In this life, brothers and sisters, we will continue to sin. But by God's grace, we do not have to be slaves to sin. 
But with Christ, we can also conquer the sin in our lives. The power that Christ gives us also gives us hope for our family members who have, our friends and family members who have walked away from the faith. Christ, who has the power to cast out a legion of demons, who is victorious over Satan, he also has the power to turn hearts and to change minds back to himself. Pray that the power of Christ would impact these people, that they would turn to Christ and be found sitting at his feet, just like the man in our text was, sitting there ready to respond in faith, as we will see in our third point. The response to Christ's freeing. Coming back to, the, to our text and the story that is unfolding, Jesus has just demonstrated his awesome power over the unclean spirits. And the man who was once possessed is sitting there at Jesus' feet. That, together with the sight of the, de- the, the pigs rushing into the sea, has caused the herdsmen to flee and tell what had happened to those in the nearby city and countryside. And so the people had started to gather. And immediately we see two different responses becoming apparent. On one hand, there's the, the fear and unease rippling through the crowd. You can imagine the the whispers going on in that crowd. Is, is that the man? Is that the one who lived in the tombs? Did you hear? The whole herd, it's gone. Who is, who is this man? Can he be trusted? These people had just witnessed an awesome demonstration of power and authority, and they don't know what to do with it all. And so fearing the unknown and the power of Jesus, they begin to beg Jesus to leave, to depart from their region. Now, this reaction is somewhat understandable from a a human standpoint. It's no small thing to have your herd of pigs destroyed. But it is not the reaction of faith. Rather than seeking to learn more about this Jesus who clearly had divine power and authority, who had just saved this man from the unclean spirits, they, they allow their own fears and their own concerns to get in the way. And so they beg Jesus to depart. They don't want this kind of power or a man who wields it to be anywhere near their land. They were used to the way things were. And they didn't want Jesus coming in and disrupting them. We're often tempted to have the same reaction when we are confronted by the power of Christ. Because it comes with changes with implications. When we see the power of Christ demonstrated on the cross, we can be hesitant to respond in faith because the cares and concerns of this earthly life become too big in our lives. We might be tempted to say, well, I'd rather that Jesus just didn't meddle in this part of my life. I like it the way it is. Or I want to keep this part of my finances my time, my skills, my relationships to myself. Jesus can have the rest, but I, didn't, I just don't want him to have authority in, in this area of my life. I've heard it said this way, we can allow our pigs to become idols 
The daily concerns of life, as noble as they might be, must never become idols which prevent us from surrendering our whole life to the power of Jesus. On the other hand, there's the response of faith demonstrated by the man sitting there at Jesus' feet. He realized what had been done for him. He may not have fully understood who Jesus was or what exactly he was on earth to do, but he did know the power of Jesus to set him free from unclean spirits and to restore him to his right mind. And so he desires to be with Jesus. Scripture says that those who have been forgiven much love much. This man had been given his life back, and so he asks to follow Jesus. But Jesus says no. It's a curious response, not one that we would have expected. Rather than allowing the man to follow him, Jesus instead gives him a task. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And this task is for a good purpose. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and to the cross, but he he would return again to this area. The task of the man was to prepare the soil to receive the seed, that is, the word of God. Jesus here is, is thinking beyond this moment to the cross through which all people from all nations would be called children of God. That includes us today here as well. And the man responds in faith, verse 20 of our text. And he went away and began began proclaiming in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Did you notice that Jesus commanded him to tell how much the Lord had done for him? And then he went and proclaimed how much Jesus had done. He recognized that Jesus was the Lord, and as such had authority over unclean spirits. And so he went forth, not only to his home, but throughout the whole Decapolis, proclaiming the saving work of Jesus Christ, the Lord. And this is our call as well, brothers and sisters. First, we need to recognize, that, recognize what Jesus has done for us through his work on the cross, And then we need our lives to be a testament to that fact and to that truth. We need to respond in faith and tell of what Jesus has done in our lives. And this starts in the first place in the home and in the body of believers. Parents, tell your children what Christ has done for you so that your children may marvel at the power of and authority of Christ. Congregation, speak to each other about the amazing work of God in our lives so that we all together can be built up in faith, especially you older believers. God has given you wisdom to see how he has been at work in your life. Share those experiences with the body of believers and so build up those who are struggling. Young people, speak of the authority that Jesus has in your lives so that your friend group would be able to resist the peer pressure of this world and the devil that 
the peer pressure that the devil puts on them. And it goes beyond this as well, beyond the walls of this church building. Many of us are hesitant to share our faith or to spread the gospel. We might think that we do not have all the answers or we're not good at making arguments. And those arguments, they have their place, but the Holy Spirit in our text simply calls us to share what Christ has done in our lives. Let the authority of Jesus in our lives, in the way you treat your husband or wife, the way you run your business, the way you behave in public, let all these things be a witness to the world. The text says in verse 20 that as a result of the man's proclamation, everyone marveled. He did not convert them all, but God used him to soften their hearts to the word of God which would come later. So speak openly of what God has done for you, and God will use that for the furtherance of his kingdom. And as we go into this new week, Respond in faith to the power of Christ by glorifying God in every aspect of your life. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, you are God Most High. Lord, your word has given us this morning a a glimpse of your awesome power. You are God Almighty, and there is none like you. And you have expressed your power by sending your Son, Jesus Jesus Christ, into this world to crush the power of Satan, and so give us new life. You have ransomed us from the power of darkness, and so we rejoice that we belong, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What a glorious truth. Help us, Lord, to cling to it dearly as we go about our daily activities this week. We pray, Lord, then, that you would help us to submit every area of our lives to Christ's rule. Give us your spirit, and so expose areas in our lives where we have become comfortable with sin, or areas where we have let the concerns of the world rise up above our duty and our calling to serve you. We have been purchased in our entirety by the blood of Christ, and so help us in thankfulness to submit our entire lives to your service. Give us wisdom also as we seek to encourage those with how you have been at work in our lives. Help us to build each other up in faith so that as a body of believers we may more and more submit to you. And also give us courage to share what you have done with us for those, to those who we encounter in our daily walk, those who do not know you. Give us wisdom through your Holy Spirit so that we might have the words to say. May all that we do be a testament to your power and your work in our lives so that others may see and give praise to you. This we pray in Jesus' name alone. Amen.